Hello everyone, welcome to Escape from Plan A. Uh, before we get started in this podcast, through the magic of podcasting, I've transported Mark, who was actually not part of this upcoming podcast, but we have this very special promo going on in which we just recently surpassed 100 patrons on Patreon. Uh, thank you so much for everyone who subscribed. And to get to our next goal of 150, we have a very special, uh, I guess, contest of some sort going on. So Mark, why don't you explain a bit more since you'll be performing it? Yeah, so um, I guess... You know, we've all known each other for a while and we've done various things together. And one of those things we've gone, gone and done is karaoke, which um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, Mark the, is a- I'm the karaoke fiend. <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, you know, and Oxford is very, he likes it a lot, too. We all like karaoke. Uh, and we thought it'd be r- fun to run this contest or I don't know if it's a contest, but a promotion where um, I would choose three songs uh, and I would have people vote on it on Twitter so the three songs are um, one. The first one is "Dancing with a Stranger" um, by Sam Smith and Normani. Uh, the second song choice would be "Plush" by Stone Temple Pilots, and then the third one is "Talk" by Khalid. Yeah, and voting should should still be open on Twitter. We'll put that link in the show notes. So if you want to hear Mark cover one of those songs, go to Twitter on our Twitter and vote for one of those songs. And once we hit 150 patrons. We will release that That's for right. our subscribers. So it should be fun. Um, also, you can just uh, reply to the tweet and give us a suggestion as well. Okay. All Look right. Well, thanks it. for appearing in a flash here, Mark. And then <laughs> now onto our podcast. All right. Thank you. Escape from Plan A. Escape. Escape. Plan A listeners, welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I am your host, as usual, Oxford Kondo, and this is a very special episode because I have two very esteemed guests with me. First, uh, a returning guest, Sharon H. Chang from our very popular uh, Growing Up Mixed Race Asian podcast. Hey, Sharon. Hey. And a totally new guest, uh, Annabelle Schmidt. Hey, Annabelle. Hey, it's nice to be on the podcast. So this episode, we're going to talk about uh, things that uh, mixed-race Asian women face in terms of fetishization. Before we get into that, I just want to say uh, we recently launched our Patreon. So please uh, go to www.patreon.com slash planamag if you want to support us. For $5, you get bonus episodes uh, in addition to the free episodes that we'll continue to make. You get access to our Discord. Plus, you get to contribute to what is uh, basically what we're trying to build a fund so we can pay Asian American writers because I think there's a lot of boring crap being written out there so we want to encourage more you know just more interesting stuff and of course if you want to subscribe to our podcast and leave reviews we're on iTunes, Spotify, um, SoundCloud and all those services so please go there and we're at planamag.com. All right now that that's out of the way um, so uh, Sharon and Annabelle for maybe some of our listeners who don't uh, who don't know you as well, you, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about yourself? Maybe we can start with Sharon. Sure. Um, this is always like a fun exercise because I wear a lot of different hats, but I am a Seattle-based author, photographer, and activist. Um, also an educator, and I do some equity work with schools in the Seattle and now the Bellevue area, city of Bellevue area. I wrote two books on multiraciality and multiracial experiences. Uh, the first one's called Raising Mixed Race, Multiracial Asian Children in a Post-Racial World. Post-Racial meant problematically. And the second, Hobbit Tales and Other Lies, which is more personal 
journal essay, social critique and memoir, which came out just this last fall. And as a photographer, I am a social justice photographer. So a lot of on the ground photography at marches, rallies, protests, and then a little bit of photography with nonprofits um, and uh, grassroots organizations. Uh, are there any recent protests that, that you've uh, photographed? Yes. So I'm working on um, a week-long coordinated action across the U.S. and Canada. So I'm specifically photographing, photographing Seattle's participation um, against displacement in um, our continent's Chinatowns. And it's done by a, mm-hmm. a newly formed coalition um, of Chinatowns against displacement. And in Seattle, we've had four events. And the last one is today, a rally in March. But the first was um, a talk and then at Wing Luke Museum and then there was a, a lantern and art action, a luminary lantern and art action in the evening in our Chinatown and then there was a displacement tour and community cleanup and then today is the rally in March. Okay, that's fantastic. And as I said before, uh, Sharon has been a guest uh, before on episode 65, Growing Up Mixed Race Asian and that one got really good feedback so we're so happy to have you back, Sharon. I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. And Annabelle, um, we, uh, uh, yeah, just tell us about how you found us and, and what you're about and, and things you're doing. Yeah, I do want to say, uh, since you mentioned that episode, I did listen to it recently and I absolutely loved it, Sharon. That was, it was really great to listen to somebody who Thank has you. similar experiences <laughs> as me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how I found you guys. I was interning at Asian Americans Advancing Justice last semester, or not last semester, the one before in DC. Um, and so I came across this Medium article while I was, I guess, maybe I was doing some research and maybe I was messing around. I couldn't tell you. But um, it was actually the one that you wrote, Oxford, on uh, to all the boys I've loved and how there were kind of some really weird racial things going on there. And I really liked what you wrote about. So that was how I initially found you guys. I left like a comment and I like discovered plan A after I like stalked you and was like, oh, so this is part of like a whole <laughs> magazine. Like, oh, great. So that was how I found you guys originally. And then I found out that you guys had a podcast. Um, so yeah, that's how I found you guys. Uh, I, who, who I am. So I am a, an intersectional feminist fashion blogger, very big mouthful. I am a college <laughs> student at Penn State and I've got one more semester. So I am going to be a senior or I am right now and I'm going to finish out my senior year next semester. Very excited to almost be done. Uh, and so I am mixed race. My mother is Taiwanese and then my dad is from here in the States. So he's white. Um, and uh, I guess just a little background about me. So when we're speaking, people maybe can understand like kind of where I'm coming from more. I grew up in a very uh, predominantly white uh, neighborhood and area. And when I went to school, like I went to this Catholic school where I could like count the m- amount of people of color. I want to say there were five of us, no more than 10 out of a school of like 150. Um, so I dealt with a lot of the typical things that Asian kids have of like kind of bringing like dumplings to school or like something that your mother made you or your dad made you. Um, that's like Asian and people are like, oh my God, what's that? So I dealt with a lot of that. Um, and then got to middle school and I switched over to a public school where my experiences were still pretty different, but still very interesting. Um, we could like literally count and I could probably even now like name the amount of Asian kids in my grade by, from heart. Uh, and we used to do this weird thing where we would like count the amount of people that were Asian in a class and I'd be like, oh, but don't forget the half, you know, like 10 and a half in this class because I'm only half. <laughs> yeah. uh, so a lot of that. And then because we're going to talk about fetishization, I'll just like briefly touch on how that kind of came up in my life. Um, so when I got to college, that was where I really encountered that a lot. And I took like this woman's studies class 
that kind of gave me the vocabulary to talk about what it was and why it was bothering me. So just a very quick overview. That is me in a nutshell. And if you're curious about my blog, it's mixed-use.com. Yeah, we'll provide all that in the show notes uh, so that people you know, don't have to memorize it uh, as soon as they hear it. But Annabelle, I, I didn't realize you interned at uh, Advancing Justice in DC. I did that like several years oh, ago. Oh, whoa, really? Oh, so cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the I'm sure the staff has turned over. Probably, so, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure anybody there remembers me, but <laughs> I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. They're a really nice group. Yeah, Sharon, uh, before you got on the call, uh, uh, Annabelle was telling me how her youngest sister, I guess, is graduating high school and she's having to host uh, a graduation party uh, at her house with like 50 people. I'm not wow. excited. Did you, did you do stuff like that growing up? I don't remember hosting any graduation parties at, at my no. house. No, no. <laughs> I didn't. I don't even, maybe it's like a, my area that I grew up in is admittedly pretty bougie. I'm wondering if that's what it is. I'm going to be honest. Like, it's kind of ridiculous. Everybody hosts these like wild parties and it's just, well, I shouldn't say wild, but they're pretty intense. Yeah, I was recently, I recently went ice skating and it was kind of near where, where the Mets play, the stadium. I guess there are like lots of buildings there that host these types of graduation events. There were like these long lines. I think they were high schoolers. I don't think they were college students. They looked a bit young, but maybe maybe I'm like so much older now that anybody in their like early 20s or something looks like teenagers but um, oh my gosh but how much older are you actually <laughs> wait till you get to my age <laughs> <laughs> so okay so this topic is i think very interesting because i mean we t- i mean it was just uh, i guess it still is uh asian pacific american heritage month uh apam or apam i don't know if people call it like that so i've seen a few articles uh about you know the fetishization of, of asian women but uh, with mixed race Asian women, I, uh, that's seems that's probably a, a very like similar but also very different and probably underexamined area, right? So I'm just uh, you guys just want to start talking about your experiences. Like uh, Annabelle, you talked a bit about yours. So Sharon, why don't, why don't we hear a bit from you? Oh my gosh, where to even begin? I you know I was trying to think about the app. <laughs> you let's, know, let's start with maybe like early school, like early grade school, maybe, and we'll I work mean, our way up. I can I can't remember if I talked about this on the last. Uh, on my last visit to your podcast. But I think one of the more formative memories that I have in terms of being fetishized was right out of college. I worked for um, AOL Time Warner in music licensing because I was going to be in the music biz. I was in LA and that's what I was going to do. And very few people of color in the office. There was like a, a TV and film department and then there was like a cd because you know people bought cds back then there was like a cd and like um anthology department like that kind of thing um and uh i uh got hired by this white jewish man who i was told right away had an asian fetish like that was kind of the secret that people would whisper to me behind his back was like well you got tell you like other women like oh everybody everybody in the office you know how office like (laughs) just that office dynamic the office (laughs) politics they'd be like oh you got hired because your your boss has an asian fetish so that was kind of like the running thing and then you know he said a lot of problematic stuff uh one one episode i wrote about in my first book raising mixed race but there was a lot of gendered stuff too that i haven't really 
published or written about that much yet. Um, and then uh, there was another new hire that shortly came on at a, at a lower level, another, I think another white Jewish man. And my boss told me to be careful of him because he had an Asian fetish. So it was literally <laughs> like nonstop. Well, wow, that's like the goal, right? The goal. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you know, I had to start logging events because my boss would say so many racialized and gendered things. And finally, I mean, I just quit. It was nine months and uh, that I lasted in that yeah. environment. So um, that's one of the more formative things, first and early formative things. I mean, I went to UCLA, which was like 60% Asian at the time, probably more now. Um, so in college, I don't have like super jarring memories of being fetishized that way necessarily, but right out of college, certainly. And then, at, you know, living in the Northwest, um, which is pretty white, and now I'm older, I have gotten comments from like older white men about like Hawaii in particular, or, you know, like, am I a flight attendant? What the hell? Stuff <laughs> that isn't sometimes explicitly gendered and racialized, but like, it's obvious what's happening. So um, yeah, those have kind of been my experiences. Uh, Sharon, actually, I'm actually curious, because like in the last podcast, you said that you like sometimes are like, uh, like ethnically ambiguous, maybe a bit more like white passing. So do you think that these men like, liked you more because you weren't uh so obviously asian or or do you think that maybe they would have preferred it if you looked more like like stereotypically asian this is a hard question to answer i you know my boss my first boss where i had that kind of really jarring experience he actually had a chinese girlfriend whose family was from china okay so I don't know if he had a preference, but I do think there was a way because I'm mixed race that he felt like he could sort of confide in me um, on, you know, regarding his racism and his sexism and that I'd like be in on it because I'm part white. And that's something that biracial people will get sometimes when they are of partial white descent is that other white folks will be like, well, you're one of us, so we can sell this racist shit to you now, and you're in on the joke, right? And so mm -hmm. I do think that was an element. Um, but certainly the, the, the comments that are Hawaii-related are specifically around me being mixed, right? That's not so much of like, oh, you're fully Asian and I fought in the Vietnam War. It's more like, I love Hawaii and I want to live there. Don't, you know, don't you think it's great? You know, it's like, okay, that's specifically about you seeing my mixedness. So that those are the things I've noticed. That is so interesting because I have actually never come across white people like trying to act like because I'm part white, I'm in on the joke and in on the racism. That's actually never happened to me. I think Part of it probably has to do with the fact that I'm younger and then also because I literally have a platform that's dedicated to calling this stuff out. So hopefully <laughs> most people know that they can't say that kind of stuff around me and expect me to just like be okay with it. But that is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Sharon, what, what are some of like the, the inside stuff that they would like, you know, confide in you? Um, let me think about this. Well, I mean, I wrote about this in the first book, this this episode with my boss around me sitting in the office with him and talking about his Chinese girlfriend and saying, oh, your girlfriend is Chinese. Have you ever been to China? And him being really shocked and being like, no. And I was like, okay, well, why? You know, as it was a problem with China. And uh, and then he st he's like, well, then I would be an egg. Do you know what an egg is? And I'm, I'm like, no. He says, white on the outside and yellow on the inside. And you know what a banana is? I'm like, no. Oh, my God, what's happening right now? And then he says, yellow on the outside, white on the inside. So there's this way that that conversation was like, here, I'm going to bring you in to this racism that I believe in. I'm going to, like, 
instruct you on it. Partially I'm targeting you, but partially it's going to be okay because we're like buddies in this, you know? And it was just like so insidious because we're also like putting down his Chinese girlfriend who's not in the room. But also we're putting down me and my ancestors who migrated to Taiwan from mainland China. It was just bad. So you can sort of see that liminal space that that a mixed person could move through. Um, and that he probably talked to me differently about this than he would have to someone that he perceived as fully 100% Asian, right? Yeah, I'm trying to... F- okay, so this guy uh, is obviously has, like not only has like the, the Chinese girlfriend, but exudes such a like f- like fetishy behavior that everybody in the office knows about it, yet he, like, hell no, does not want to go to Asia, and he's the one trying to warn you about oh, that I know. other dude. Yeah, there's just layers and layers. Like, I, 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 this guy's, like, in severe denial or, or something. <laughs> yeah, just, like, it's just an onion. Just layers and layers and layers. Uh, so, Annabelle, I mean, you talked uh, briefly about this, you know, just, like, your first encounters and experiences in the beginning, but do you want to elaborate more on that? Yeah, sure. So, I actually wrote a blog post about this a while ago that got, like, dragged on our Hapa, which I thought was so ironic. But essentially, kind of what happened to me when I got to college, I didn't quite know what fetishization even was. I feel like I'd probably heard the term yellow fever, but didn't realize how kind of hidden it can be in the ways that men can be quite insidious with it, and it's kind of subtle. Um, But I remember, like, the first guy I started seeing when I got to college, like, he literally told me one day, he was like, oh, well, if I sleep with you now, I can check Asian girl off the list and I'll only have a black girl left. And I was like, gross. So gross. Yeah, very, very disgusting. And so a lot of the ways in which I get fetishized, it all has to do with sex, which is so frustrating because women are objectified enough as it is, no matter what your race is. But then when you add race into it, there's this other dimension of men just being like, oh, because you're X race, I'm expecting that you're also A, B, C, D, E, F, G things because of different stereotypes and whatnot. Um, and I know like a while later in college, um, years later, I dated some kid for like three weeks and he mentioned something about how, how some of his partners happened to be Asian. I didn't, I remember not thinking too much of it at the time because I was like, he hadn't said anything weird at the time about having an Asian fetish and he hadn't led me to believe that he did have one. Um, but then later on when we were dating, um, this is why this only lasted three weeks, though. Let me just say that. Because <laughs> I finally realized, I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is weird. He mentioned something about how the reason that he tended to date Asian girls was because he tended to be, like, nicer, quieter, like, more studious. And he doesn't like girls that party a lot. And I was just kind of like, this is pretty strange. And so after a while, I was like, okay, this isn't working anyway. And I'm kind of grossed out by what he's saying, even though it's, like, been kind of subtle and, like, not rude but definitely low-key racist um so that ended and then i found out later on from a friend who actually knew this guy that every single one of his partners since he had left high school and this guy was a senior in college now they'd all been asian and then i found out later on that the next girlfriend he had after me was asian so it's just kind of what's been very frustrating for me is all of my experiences tend to be ones where like i'm dating some guy and i'm with some guy for a little bit and then like things end. i look back and i go holy crap I can't believe I missed that. Like, there was a one point some, like, oh, and then on Tinder, because everybody in college is on Tinder, right? So your freshman year, everybody, like, downloads this. I got a message from, I would get lots of messages from guys about being Asian, but the one that has always stuck with me and the one that I use an example, as an example, um, this guy messaged me, it was an opener, and he goes, an Asian girl is at the top of my fuck it list. And I was like, oh. And that okay. was his opening line? That was his opening line. 
This man really thought that I was going to swoon and be like, oh my God, pick me up right now and let's, like, what? (laughs) I never replied. I was just like, what is going on right now? And I think when I started getting those messages is when I realized just how bad fetishization was and I got really, really frustrated with it. So those have been my experiences. Just a lot of guys saying really gross things and just using me, like the, the way that I've kind of explained it is... I feel like I get used as a metaphorical checkbox for different men so that they can fulfill their own sexual fantasies and desires. It's very gross. Yeah. Very, very gross. Uh, Yeah. Actually, Annabelle, when you first told me that, you know, everybody in college is using Tinder, I mean, obviously I knew that, but (laughs) that was, I think, the first time I actually got, you know, confirmation from somebody directly. (laughs) And uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I graduated college like almost 10 years ago. I mean, it, it just boggles my mind. Um, like the the stuff that people must be saying yeah. and trying to do because you're but not in person not, yes but it's but i'm also kind of glad that it's all out in the open because it's not mm. like when i was in college or when like sharon was in college all this stuff didn't happen and suddenly because this app is here everyone's you know changed one mm. no all this stuff was, was we have receipts like, now i have screenshots now <laughs> yeah and i think i think that's at least positive in that yes. yeah before it, it was obvious just just from looking around what was happening but you couldn't yeah you, you didn't have the screenshots or or any of the, <laughs> you know that's the guy's stupid enough to out loud say uh you know you're you're on my top of my fuck it list so yes yeah but the, yeah that it's still the, the idea of like freshmen using tinder is or even like high schoolers is oh my it's God, weird I seriously think that's like a, gonna be a big sociological problem. Just yeah. But anyway, that's another podcast <laughs> episode. Actually, that would be quite fun to do. Um, I guess another broad question is: Do you think you get fetishized the same way as, uh, like, like full Asian women do, or do you think there's also an element of, wow, you're you're even like better maybe because you're also yeah. like part white? Um, yeah. Please talk more about that. It's very interesting. So I've noticed that when it comes to like white guys well no i shouldn't even say just white guys just in general sharon you probably relate to this a lot but the word exotic just comes up a lot people think that because i'm mixed in like quote-unquote racially ambiguous and like ethnically ambiguous i'm more exotic than most people and i really hate the word exotic because it just means you're not completely white that's literally all it means um and it's just very very strange uh I have noticed that when it comes to Asian guys, I'll get some very strange looks. I mean, I used to work at this bubble tea shop where a lot of the international students and Asian AAPI students would come. Uh, and I would get a lot of looks from the different um, Asian men. Some of it definitely had to do with the fact that people were just like, oh my god, what is she? She looks so Asian, but not Asian, but white, but not white. That was definitely a lot of it. And then a lot of it, I think, also had to do with the fact that once they found out I could speak Chinese, they were like, oh, so she is Asian, but she's mixed. And then the like the way that people in Asia and around the world in general, we glorify whiteness, there was a lot of that that I noticed. So the way that Asian men would um, look at me and there was this one kid who was always trying to get my number that just made me thoroughly uncomfortable. And because my boss like knew him, it was even like easier for him to talk to me just because he had that kind of like familiarity with the people working there. It was just a whole thing. And then uh, I, a coworker there told me once about this like a uh, version of Tinder that was basically just for the Asian students there. So I downloaded that for like all of 24 hours before I decided it was, re- it was even worse than Tinder. 
Um, but I noticed, like, I got way too many matches way too quick, and I was like, okay, a lot of this definitely has to do with the fact that I'm mixed, and the fact that my mix is not, like, two different minorities, it's the fact that the other mix within me is white, because we glorify whiteness so much, so definitely experience that in a different way because of that. Yeah, Annabelle, I think you said that on that app, was it Tantan or East Beach? I could not tell you, I really don't know what it was. It was probably Tantan. But you said that you were getting way more matches than like like the full Asian women, right? Probably. I'm assuming. Well, I'm just assuming because they came in really fast, and I was like, "This isn't normal." I was like, "This isn't what it's like on the other one." It was. It was just very <laughs> strange. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, okay. my my sister was also using it, and we were kind of like we texted each other about it. And we were like, "This is too weird." There's too many Asian men messaging me, offering to buy me things, and like getting trying to like. Ah, it was just so strange and they would like try to say something in Chinese and I'd be like ah it was it was just not my it was not for me uh, do you have any like similar experiences Sharon um yeah sure so I think there's fetishizing on like both sides of the ocean right if you're mixed so um I mean uh I think like we went to Taiwan a lot when I was growing up we usually went about once a year there's definitely like the stop dead in your tracks in the street like what the hell is that thing in the street that looks so I get different that a lot yeah, but also um, because the pop industry in Asia is so flooded now with mixed people, particularly light-skinned mixed people, right? Let's be clear about that. Um, I, there was a point when I was a younger woman where I remember one of my dad's friends, you know, my, like this is like so Chinese, so Taiwanese, like, you know, we were visiting uh, one of my dad's friends and I had to play the piano for them and sing because, you know, you show pony your kids. And uh, and then afterwards, this this male friend said, wow, you're so good. Um, you could have been famous in Taiwan, but you're too old. And I was like in my 20s at that point, right? So, <laughs> oh my god, that's so right? rude on so many levels. <laughs> but so, so that felt really that felt fetishy in a different way. Like, oh well, because you're mixed and you have enough skill, you could have made it. But it was also super sexist. It was like, but you're too old. You know, even though you're in your 20s, you needed to have started when you were like 15, right? Um, oh my god. So definitely got get that there. And comments about like, oh, you're so pretty um, from other Asian people, even here, like Asian immigrants here, um, just sort of like kind of marveling over my features because they're just like they look a little different somehow. So I get that. I think from um, non-Asian people, for me, the fetishizing has looked around mixedness um, like, uh, you know, being framed as Hawaiian. So that's why I wrote my second book, Hoppa Tales and Other Lies, because um, even growing up, my parents said that people always thought me and my sister were Hawaiian. And that was sort of how they processed the fact that we like looked Asian, but we were clearly were probably not fully Asian. And so, you know, to this day, I still get those kind of comments. I was just like picking up teriyaki the other day and some guy was like, aloha. I was like, oh my God, really? So, um, <laughs> so that's, I think, and there's certainly a fantasy that, you know, people have about Hawaii that is also built on this mixed race fetishizing, right? Like that's the place where you can go and like meet all these hapahali women who are wearing lays and like barely any clothes and they'll do the hula with you. Like, so, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways that that comes up, I think. And, and then, you know, too, in Hawaii, that fetishizing of Hapahali women is also like a light skin, more lighter brown fetish, right? So I just want to keep reiterating that because that's important. And like Annabelle said, the glorifying mm-hmm. of whiteness is really implicit in all this. Yeah, because I think the like 99% impl- uh, implication of like mixed race Asian is always with white, right? Yes. If it's ever with another 
Well, maybe if it's like a you know like a very light skinned Latino or very light skinned like Middle Eastern person, maybe. But it's 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 basically like a light skinned Caucasian, and then every like a darker race, or whatever is is still seen as is is like you know not worth as much, and and is we don't even consider them, right? It, mm-hmm. It's not even, they don't even come up as a topic of conversation, and that's something that really does like piss me off that the way like obviously like the white people you know white people are gonna white and <laughs> they're gonna fetishize right <laughs> but when asians do it i remember when i was uh in high school um so there are like all these like korean moms you know had their own little club you know where, where it's like social and and you know kind of club and then uh like oh, a classmate of mine uh who's a little bit younger i mean he was like fully korean but he had like maybe like slightly uh, you know, maybe it was like ambiguous. Like, I mean, I, I think to a non-Asian person, probably wouldn't be able to tell. But you know, like sometimes Asians, they, we like foc- you know, hyper focus on on you know, ooh, you know, eyelids are a little bit you know bigger, or your nose is a little bit sharper, that kind of obsession. Mm-hmm. So he maybe looked a little, maybe like a little bit mixed. And all the moms would be like, oh, you know, he's like kind of looks like a soyang saram, which is you know Korean, like a, a white person. And um, and I'll be honest, like like that show Terrace House, like I I I could I had to stop watching it because they they had this weird like fetishization of of a mixed race Japanese, you know, both the men and the women. Hmm. And after a while, it just, it just like oh, this this like this show just seems so sometimes a bit off, you know. And do you guys watch that show? Mm-hmm. I haven't even heard of it actually. Oh what really? It yeah. was a it was a huge. I think it was more like a couple of years ago. It was like a big phenomenon, but. In, in case people don't know, it's it's kind of like a reality show set in Japan. It's I, I guess the best way to describe it is it's like a the real world, but people oh, are not as yes, I overly heard, dramatic. I heard about this, but I didn't actually watch it. Yeah, I I, I wanted to, I, but I wanted to piggyback on what you said. Um, I've definitely gotten comments from other Asian folks on my eyelid crease. In an, like an admiring way, and then also on my nose because oh, I have like yeah. a like a my mother's Eastern European of Eastern European descent, so I got more of her face shape than my sister did. So I have like a more aquiline nose or whatever it's called, and I definitely have gotten more comments mm-hmm. about my nose more than once, also from Asian Asian women usually Asian people, yeah, Asian women like even not, not even just like people like who are actually immigrating from Asia, but like Asian American women a lot, like my friends. There's a lot, there's definitely a lot of talk about like eye shape and wishing that they were bigger. And it's, yeah, definitely a lot of comments as well, Sharon. I get the same thing. And like when I'm in Taiwan, especially, I mean, you mentioned people would be like, oh my God, you could be so successful here. Like people would tell me that I should model in Taiwan all the time. Oh, I was just going to say, and it's, it's a really tricky space to be in when you are receiving those comments or you're sort of caught in between because on the one hand, there's a lot of privilege in it, which I acknowledge. But then the other hand, it's also quite painful because, um, you know, like uh, for, for, for me to have like, quote unquote, full Asian women come and sort of desire some of my features means that they don't like theirs. And I don't want to be part and parcel of something that puts down other women of color and, and them feeling beautiful and everything yes. they are, but white supremacy gets in the way. Um, so it, it kind of, it just sucks, you know? Yes. <laughs> Whenever my friends like make comments about their eyes and like having mono lids, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, wow, what do I say? Like your eyes are beautiful, but I know that if I say it and like coming from me, that doesn't, it just doesn't really mean anything. It's very frustrating. So, I mean, uh, Sharon, I guess you're, you're married, but I I think you can talk about, uh, you know, before you got married. Like, so how, like, what are some of the ways you try to, you know, minimize this, 
this like encounters with with fetishization if if it is even at all possible well like what are some things that you you've learned that might uh, mitigate that somewhat like a screening process no just kidding um (laughs) so uh yeah getting older for women in our society is like a big deal right because once you pass a certain probably once you're past 20 in your 20s, uh, you know, you start to decline in a, in a patriarchal society. So definitely the comments have decreased quite a bit since I've gotten older. But, you know, it's somewhat out of our control because these are, you know, yes. fetishes, uh, racial and gender fetishes are are dictated by the people who are in power. And we are not in power of those those things. So, um, you know, you don't really know when they're going to come. And for me, every time it happens, I feel like I got blindsided. It's like, really? Same. Oh, my God. And it's. Yes. And it's always when you're like in the most vulnerable place to like at the hot tub at the public pool and you're like in your bathing oh, suit God. and someone starts talking about Hawaii and I'm like, I feel so gross. I need to go take a shower, <laughs> you know? Obsession with Hawaii, man. What the yeah, hell? right. It's like, and we're in a hot tub and I'm in a bathing suit and you're talking to me about Hawaii and I just like know what's happening right now and I need to go. Um, so <laughs> I don't know if I can control it much, but I think like Annabelle said, like developing a vocabulary for how to talk about it and yeah. analyze it is really helpful um, and at least understanding what's going on. For me, a lot of it just has to do with, because like Sharon said, it really is just, you just get blindsided and there's not much you can do except kind of control your reaction and just take a deep breath and be like, this is not the end of the world. Like this really sucks and I hate patriarchy and I hate racism, but I can't fix this. For me, I usually just kind of, if something's really happens that really is bothering me, I'll just text my friends about it. I'll just be like, guys, can you believe this just happened? And then we just take like 10 minutes to all text about how ridiculous this is and how we can't believe that just happened. But you really do just get blindsided. Like last semester, I moved into a new apartment with some new people um, and they were all really nice. But there was this one girl who was seeing some kid. um, And one day she like came downstairs to and talked to me and she goes, yeah, so John thinks you're really hot. And I was like, so, um, what? Wait, she said her... Or the guy she's seeing, she tells you about yes. that? Yes. That's really weird. Yes. It was very, very strange. I was like, first of all, you should not be dating this guy if he's telling you that. That's very wrong. Second of all, why are you telling me this? And then she, like, no, says something else. And as she's, like, closing up the conversation because she's about to, like, go back upstairs and do some work, she goes, yeah, he thinks you would be wild in bed. I was like, what? What? The what? F- there's something. There's well, something weird with this. Oh, with it was. It was like a that. hot. I was like, this is ridiculous. And of course, this guy who's saying this is white. And of course, this girl who's telling me this, she never fails to introduce me as the new Asian roommate. And I'd always be like, this is this is so weird. Not a fan. Can I'm you assuming she's stop? white as well. Yes, she's very white. <laughs> Just she's like when you picture white people, like you can. That's her. That is her. She's very sweet, but definitely very just clueless and ignorant. Um, and the, I'm honestly, I really think the fact that he said any of that and the fact that she thought she could tell me, which is so weird, um, and a whole thing in and of itself, it definitely has to do with the fact that I'm Asian. And so for me in that instance, I didn't, I just didn't know what to say. I didn't feel like calling it out because I'm going to be living with this girl for the rest of the semester, right? So like, why am I going to just, I don't want to cause a scene. I'm just keep it simple. Just leave it be because otherwise it could just be worse if I call things out, which is really frustrating because it as Sharon said like we're not in control and sometimes all you can do is control your reaction it's never the ideal one and you can't fix the situation but it's a lot about just kind of knowing when it's appropriate to call things out and like knowing when it like how to deal with things and so as I said like for me when that happened the best thing I could do was just tell my friends about it and just like confide in them be like guys I'm so frustrated but also what <laughs> so that's really just how I deal with it 
I mean, the only thing that comes to my mind, why on earth she would tell you? Maybe I they don't watch some, know. Like, no, no, the only thing that comes to my mind is maybe they watch some like bad French movie and and they saw like a threesome. They're trying to nah. you know, gauge your interest or what? Well, I don't. Honestly, that's only there's way that no makes way sense, or... she would never do that. She doesn't have her self esteem is not at that level. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, nice I mean, girl, I was but... just cu- curious. Annabelle, are they polyamorous? Are they a polyamorous nope. couple? That was the nope. only okay. <laughs> They weren't even an official couple. It was a very typical college thing where nobody's mature enough to admit that they really want to be in a relationship. Or even if the girl does, the guy's in a frat and he's a typical frat guy who just like doesn't want to admit he wants to commit and like blah, 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 blah. Just one of those typical situationships. <laughs> ah, got it. I, don't know, I was about to say also, I love the way you, you call like every guy kid. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, they're all man babies when you're in college. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, so here, here's a question I want to ask, and it's, it's a bit, I think, of a touchy question, um, but have you guys ever heard, uh, read the essay Far Away From Me by Jenny Zhang in, in Rookie Magazine? I haven't. I'll have Mm-mm. to. Okay, so this is, uh, I love this essay, um, and I've referenced it several times in, in like the history of this podcast, but just Jenny Zhang is, is like a somewhat uh, pretty famous young Asian-American writer. Uh, she like Last year, a couple of years ago, she released this uh, short story collection called uh, Sour Heart. But in this mm. essay, she talks about, you know, growing up. I mean, she's like full Asian, but, you know, so, but, you know I think I had this similar sentiments growing up, feeling as though she didn't fit the, you know, white beauty standard. And she just talked about how for a long time um, she embraced fetishization as, oh. as, like, uh, as proof that she could appeal to basically white guys. And I mean, like. As an Asian guy, yeah. obviously it doesn't happen as much to us, but but it has happened a, a few times. Like, uh, you know, when I'm dating, I'm on Tinder, some like non-Asian woman, and she's like has this very particular interest in like Korean dramas or what, whatever, and like all her favorite <laughs> celebrities are are Asian. And like to me, um, maybe I don't know if it's because I'm a guy or because this hasn't affected me for as long. I'm like you know generally flattered unless it borders <laughs> on really creepy. So I, I just wanted to ask you, uh, if you were growing up, like, did you feel like you fit into the, the standard uh, beauty ideals? And if not, was there ever a time when this fetishization actually seemed like something that, that kind of boosted you? Beauty standards are very hard for me. I go between wanting to look more white and wanting to look more Asian. So that's where I'm at with that. That It's very confusing. I think... Uh, the desire to look whiter is definitely stronger because we live in a society that glorifies whiteness and Eurocentric features, like wanting to have lighter skin, wanting to have bigger eyes, longer eyelashes, a lot of that going on. Um, but I think especially when I was working at like the bubble tea shop, everyone that came in were these like beautiful East Asian women. I was like, oh my God, that was like a whole thing. Um, but when I was younger, I want to say the first time I ever heard, I meant, uh, I mentioned this previously, but the guy that was like, if I have sex with you, then I can check off Asian off of my list. Like my self-esteem wasn't what it is right now when I was a freshman in college. Um, and I feel like when I heard it, I was like put off by it, but there definitely was a part of me that was like, oh, so he's like, he wants me, you know, you definitely uh-huh. fall into that trap a lot. And as I said, like, I've come a long way and now when I hear that stuff, it makes me want to barf. But at the moment, yeah, it definitely was like a moment of that's gross, but at least somebody wants me. Yeah. Yeah, I had some of that, too, when I was younger. Um, I also went to like lived in a lot of really white neighborhoods growing up and went to kind of bougie schools with a lot of white kids. Um, And like I remember in high school, see, I I was not very woke. I was not woke at all in high school, so I didn't really have (laughs) words for it. But um. Like, I I remember feeling somehow I was, like, one of the smart girls 
who was different and all I hung out with like the three other smart girls who were different and different basically meant like girls of color and one international student. So like now I look back, I'm like, okay, that's that's what that means. But um, like in terms of dating, European student. Yeah, she was from Spain, but like spoke English with a thick accent. And so like we all ended up that was the four of us, you know, Um, and I remember uh, dating was really challenging because it just seemed like all the cute boys always like the popular girls who were white. You know, and I I just Uh remember being like, I could never fully get every once in a while someone would be interested, but like I just couldn't be be taken seriously by anybody somehow. Um, Now I look back and I'm like, oh, I think I just was always a little bit different or something. And that's why it was hard. Um, So, yeah, like if if, um, you know, I got attention for being exotic or different, I was getting attention. You know, I'd be like, well, at least it's getting me noticed. (laughs) But yeah, the guys I wanted to date never wanted to date me. So it was what it was. Yeah, I think like nowadays, the the kind of uh, I think like uh, Asian women, you know, whether like full Asian or mixed race have I think been pretty, you know, like accepted into way more than in the past into like the mainstream beauty ideals. But I do remember when I was like growing up, going to school, like the you know like the the Asian girl in the class the, the stereotype was like she like wear you know like you know chunky sweaters thick glasses and probably was a couple of grades ahead in math that was you know <laughs> there wasn't as much of a uh, oh she's she's like the hot popular girl stereotype that I think is much more common now and I think uh, mm. for like a lot of Asian guys we think that um it must they must have always enjoyed in t- attention and, and popularity but I think it's pretty recent and I think that does make uh, Asian women, like, vulnerable to um, accepting, seeing fetishization when it first happens, like Jenny Zhang and, you know, like what you guys have said, when it happens, you know, it, it, it feels flattering at first. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a dangerous place to be. I think, like, when I talk about fetishization, like, when I wrote my blog post, I got, like, dragged on uh, the Hapa subreddit. That was something that was mentioned. Um, the fact that for a lot of guys, like, Asian guys in particular, they're like, well, I think fetishization's great because, like, I don't get any attention. And there's, it's just very strange because I think for me, like, when I find out that somebody is dating a white guy that has yellow, fe- or an Asian woman is dating a white guy that has yellow fever, for me, my first thought is, how is her self-esteem? Like, does she realize what's happening? Maybe she really is craving attention and hasn't found that kind of self-love within herself. And that's why she's seeking it wherever she can find it. But a lot of times people will use that as an argument to say that like fetishization isn't racist because there are people who don't care about it. I mean, but everybody makes that kind of argument with anything like cultural appropriation. They're like, oh, well, people from Asia don't care. They think it's really flattering. So that means that you can't be offended about it. It's just one of those moot points. And people use it as this like, oh, well, people don't think it's offensive, so you can't be mad about it. It's just, it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. I think also the idea that, feti- like, a woman of color being fetishized is a privilege is really, um, uh, the analysis is really off. Because if we, you yes. know, a lot of, wi- all women of color are fetishized in different ways. You know, they're, they're submit, you know, they're subject to different racial stereotypes, right? If you think about the way black women are fetishized or Latinx women or indigenous women. Um, I think, 
you know, that's not, it gets you a lot of attention, but I think with a lot of other women of color, I think people may understand a little more why that could be problematic. I'm not entirely sure why with Asian women, it's considered this privilege. I'm like, I, I, yeah, it's oppressive. It's oppressive and it's very objectifying and it makes you hyper visible in a way that doesn't honor who you are. It doesn't honor your intelligence. It doesn't honor your character. It doesn't honor your spirit or yourself as a whole being. It honors you as, as a piece of meat. So I, I think that's um, when yeah. yeah and when so when men of color in particular say things like that well f- being fetishized is a privilege i feel like that's their sexism speaking frankly yes yes it's their patriarchy it's, it's a very yeah. male-centric way of looking at things because for a guy they're like oh yeah all this easy sex i'd love it um and it's not like women don't love sex but it's it's not the same right for for women they're they're not you know, being constant offers for for one night stands has mm-hmm. has a different connotation, right? For yes. for women and what men think of them for, versus for men. So yeah, it's it's like they're they're basically only like thinking of themselves. I also think like what what does hurt is just a lot of just like shallowly written yellow fever articles, which really don't show the the depths of it. And it's all like a lot of times it's by a relatively attractive person in a consensual relationship, and the guy says just like one like sort of bad thing and then that is shown to be the extent of yellow fever and then from that image it it looks like relatively privileged complaints like where you're almost accepted as a white like a white woman but there's a couple of uh you know sort of like insulting things that that might be said but yeah that that fetishization goes all the way to you know like uh, sex workers being murdered uh you know it can get as serious as that and i I think it's like the, the whole like media doesn't do a very good job of of expressing all those views it just tends to focus on like the the top one percent type of thing i want to add a great story here before you move on so (laughs) this is like i think a perfect example of um and and this ties into like beauty standards the way that you had asked about um and also like is fetishizing a privilege um so uh i grew up in la i mean talk about (laughs) you know, like the epitome of beauty standards. And I remember as a young woman just feeling like I was never enough. I was never white enough. I was never skinny enough. I didn't look. I mean, we have more people of color now in media, but not still not enough, but way more than we, they, we did when I was a young woman. And so, um, and, and then I was surrounded by Hollywood people. So like literally the people who are in these shows, like I went to school with the Kardashians half siblings, you know, like, so I was literally, surrounded. I was very, I'm sorry, I was very close. <laughs> I was, well, they were, they're, they were nice people. I mean, they're not Kardashians themselves, but, um, so like I was literally <laughs> surrounded by the people who are, are these, these, these things who create these standards. And, um, you know, I just never felt like I, I couldn't be those things, right? No matter how hard I tried, no matter matter how skinny I got. So there was always this feeling of not being enough, which is already hard for mixed-race people a lot of times. Like you said, Annabelle, it's like vacillating between wanting to be full white or full Asian because at least then I would belong somewhere. Um, Then, check this out, (laughs) I was cast in a Kodak commercial when I was 16 I mean, this oh, is wow. like the perfect story. I've been telling the story a lot because it's it's kind of hilarious and so painful. Um, and and I got the attention right that we talked about, which felt good. So there was a a, a kid in my school whose mother was a casting agent, you know, for Hollywood, and like they needed Asian talent for a commercial, and she combed. She wanted to give a kid in our high school a chance, so she combed our high school. There's like no Asian kids, so she she asked me <laughs> to go, and then this like um, fellow student who's Native Hawaiian. And we went to the casting and it was super weird because like 
it was an ethnic casting, right? So it was like all Asian people. And I'm not an actor. I hate acting. And I went and I was like, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> they like put you in a room and put on music and you have to dance and pretend like you're moshing. And I just couldn't wait for it to be over. And they were like, thank you, everyone. And they sent everyone out of the room. They're like, Sharon, you need to come back. And they just had me stand there and smile at this camera. And they're like, yeah, smile like this, smile like that, smile like this. And I had no idea what was going on. It's like all these white people, right, older white people. I go home and I was like, that was fucking weird. I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> Get a call a couple weeks later, like, congratulations, you got cast. I'm like, cast is what? They didn't really tell me. So I got the gig. I show up on set. I think it was it was one of the studios. Um that that day and it turns out that i was cast as a fucking tourist in chinatown during a <sighs> lunar new year celebration taking pictures of my own fucking people and it was a commercial <laughs> that aired internationally during the olympics and so you know and we see this oh a lot where um you know advertisers are using more and more mixed bodies because they know it'll reach a, the widest consumer base right oh these people God. who are ethnically ambiguous and have features that will call out to multiple groups of people end up you know being really good for their bottom line and so i got cast like so i got this attention but like how painful is that as a as an asian mixed race woman who's really struggling with identity and being beautiful and trying to fit in to like have this industry this hollywood industry be like oh right and by the way we're gonna other you even more and we're gonna like tokenize you in our commercial and we're gonna play it for the whole world so like that's oh the God. kind of stuff that can be really tough and i had i couldn't have even talked about this story until right now like i'm 41 so it literally took decades to even have an analysis to even be able to tell this story in this way so so i've been sitting on that experience like just internalized for decades so i think that's a really good example that's, <laughs> that's a fun one to tell <laughs> i'm like in they're, they're essentially, uh, yeah they're essentially calling you the the most efficient cog for their like capitalist machine you know, yo, I, I bet they were thinking oh you know to the asians you look white and to the whites right. you look asian so we, yeah. we only have to cast one, one woman <laughs> Well, and also there's like the hint of the other, right? So like for Asians, I look white, but a little bit Asian. So then it's like appealing and familiar, but tantalizing, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, I want to buy that camera because here's this this woman that we relate to on some level, but she's like whitish, you know? And then for white people, it's like I'm just exotic enough to sort of signal that mm -hmm. we're like in a lunar, lunar New Year. So like I'm not... I'm a tourist, but not that much of a tourist, right? Like, it's sort of, I fit in somehow, and I'm like an in, like I'm a conduit, right? Well, we can be part of this, too, because she, look at her, she's kind of like us, but kind of different, you know? Um, so just so, so that's a little disturbing. And I actually worked at a bubble tea place, too, back in the day when I was Oh, my gosh! <laughs> and they... <laughs> Like and it was passing. owned, I know, it's so funny. And then um, it was owned by a white man and his um, fiance, who was, I think, Taiwanese. And I don't, I don't think it worked out with the two of them, but that's another story. Um, and they ended up using my picture on a promotional postcard without my permission and sending it out. Oh, God. And I'm like, of all the people who work at this place, and there were other Asian young people who were quote unquote full Asian. Um, I was the one who got picked and I remember being like flattered, but then also kind of upset. Like you didn't even ask me yeah. and how come I'm the one who's getting picked because you think I have the face that's the best advertising, but then you didn't even ask my permission, you know? So that kind of stuff. With like, also with like mixed race Asians, I think there's this, 
uh, scarcity mentality among like those those who do fetishize because like numerically there there aren't that many. Like even if you have an Asian fetish, there's like a bil- billions of Asian people, so a uh, full Asian people, so it's not as special. But it, I do get the sense that for for these people who zero in on the mixed race, it's like oh, there's only a few. So if I snag one, it's like. <laughs> It's like you know. It's like hunting, like getting a trophy <laughs> unicorn on on your wall. It's just yeah, yeah. Percentage wise, I mean, compared to like the world population, and and I think we, it's important to be specific about context too. I think the mixed race we're talking about is like Asian. Yes. Uh, you know, it's from a U.S. framework, so like Asian mixed with something non-Asian. So that could be Black and Asian, could be White and Asian, it could be. But you know, like in Asia, mixed race often refers to multi-ethnic Asian people. So that's a little different. Than, than we would see it in the oh, U.S. Oh, you mean like someone who say like Korean and Vietnamese? Right. Yeah. Yeah, like in Japan, sometimes I think um, there was a movie called Hafu that came out a while ago. It's a documentary that looked at mixed people. Hafu is in Japan. And one of the um, people that was profiled is Japanese and Korean, which in Japan, that oh, I, I mean, because of the history, right, that and the groups are so dis- they're so different, that is considered like mixed there. But it wouldn't be in the U.S. You'd be Asian, you know, so. Oh, before I wanted to say something to Annabelle because uh, those those people who told you and, and Sharon too that you could be like famous in Taiwan. I was gonna say you know that's perfectly fine, except it never works the other way around, right? Yeah. You never tell those people, oh, you could make it in the U.S. So uh, this idea, this like you know kind of fucked up idea that you know being mixed uh, white and Asian is like the best of both worlds is not even really true. It's only in the context of Asians because obviously. Uh, you know, having some whiteness makes you better. But when you're among all whites, then it's a little bit less of an advantage because, you know, the whites are the master race after yeah. all or whatever. So that that always, like, pisses me off. Like, because like, all, all the... Like, I mean, I'm happy that, you know, whoever finds, you know, success, I'm not going to begrudge them that. But they never seem to come to the U.S. Yeah. Uh, it never seems to work that way. This um, is true. This is yeah. true. Yeah. Yep. Uh, That's a good point. I, one question I want to have. So, Annabelle, you said you don't have any brothers. Uh, Sharon, you're you're married to like another mixed race man. How do you think mm-hmm. like the experiences differ between uh, like mixed race women and men, especially when it comes to like fetishization or just like the the yeah. way you treat it as kind of like a like a special oddity? Um, so I actually, I'm married to a biracial Japanese and a white man, and I have a son. So I'm getting more and more familiar with what how this looks different um, through a gender lens, which I really appreciate. My husband's experiences have been so different than mine. So, so different. And he has taught me a lot um, about about what that looks like. And he is still continuing to experience that today. Um, you know, my, my racialized experiences have been fetishizing experiences for the most part. His have been straight up racism. And usually when it comes to gender, it's a lot of, you know, the stuff we're familiar with, like emasculating, um, stereotypes. Uh, he's, he gets like language mocking a lot, you know, things like, oh, you're like a ninja, you know, just really, I mean, even now he's still getting those kind of things. Um, I don't know if he's ever maybe a couple times had the experience of being fetishized, but not too much for, for him more. It's just facing, you know, straight up, um, overt racism, usually, um, from other men like white men. Um, and it can be, it can be overt and aggressive, but a lot of times it, it can be microaggressive or subtle, um, just like jokes about, um, you know, being a samurai or being really good at this and that or like loving sushi, you know, whatever. Um, 
As far as my son goes, I'm curious to see what will happen because I do feel like with biracial Asian and white men, things are starting to shift, especially with like crazy rich Asians um, and some of the models we're seeing out there. So we'll see for him. I'm not sure yet. And I'm sure he'll let me know because <laughs> he has an opinion. Um, but so far, he is also one of the things I've noticed, I feel, is that they are red as more Asian than I am. And I don't know. Um, I'm like, is it because you guys look more Asian than me? I don't know if that's what it is. I think that gender is an influence there. I think that there there have been studies that show women are more likely to identify as mixed race than men. And I think um, gender perception may influence like how the flexibility people have in their racial identity. I wonder if they are read as more Asian because they're perceived as male and that if I if I get more space for ambiguity because I'm perceived as female. I'm not sure. But that's a question I've been having recently. I dated someone um like earlier in uh college and like in part of high school who was also mixed. Um the same mix actually Taiwanese and white. Um, and I noticed, like, after we broke up, we, like, kept in touch, and he mentioned that he had a lot more success, like, with Asian women in finding future partners, so that's interesting that you say that, because to me, it's, like, I guess it depends on who you're asking and and the way that they view mixed Asian men as such, because in that sense, it really felt like he was being fetishized in a way because all these Asian women, or uh, maybe I shouldn't say fetishized, because I don't know quite the nature of these relationships, like, we're friends, we're not that close, um, and he, yeah, just, it's interesting that you say that because if he had more success with Asian women, it would lead me to believe that these Asian women were viewing him and glorifying that whiteness in him in a certain way. Yeah, I think mixed race Asian men, uh, yeah, don't get fetishized nearly to the same extent as mixed race uh, Asian women in the general population. But I think if they do want that like special treatment, you would go hang out with Asians because Annabelle, you're exactly right. And you can just see that in like the Hollywood casting with like Crazy Rich Asians. And um, this movie that recently came out, The Sun is Also a Star, that new like CBS sitcom where, oh, where Ken Jeong plays the billionaire <laughs> and his son. And it, it's a pattern that a lot of more like even mainstream Asian Americans, the types who would be more like, let's, you know, get along to go along types. Uh, I think more and more people are picking up on this because it's like, yeah, if you, if you are like a mixed race Asian man, you cannot compete with white men, but you can compete with say like full asian men because you are yeah. at least more white and ah, and it's not and interesting. it's like it's, yeah. it's kind of the same for mixed race asian women but because like even full asian women can sometimes be competitive with white women nowadays in terms of just like so, like social value uh, it's not as big an advantage so i think i think like mixed race asian men just naturally i think a lot of them if you like, in my experience, if you go to like student Asian student groups and there's a mixed race person, it generally tends to be guys, and it just it just kind of follows the general pattern in which a lot of just Asian social spaces tend to be uh, spaces for uh, guys who who feel excluded. Um, you know, like if they're not fully Asian, you, that's why you have like the you know white weeaboos and and things like that. So yeah, I think that that's that's the pattern that I've seen. I've never thought about it that way. Oh, that's a good. It point. Makes a lot of sense. I just wanted to add something to 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 um some language you used just now where you said that Asian women may have like, you know, equal social value to white women or, you know, be maybe competitive. I that's not I don't I don't think that's true. I think in terms of desirability, um and some of the dating app research has shown like that Asian women and Asian mixed women in particular uh get a lot more response on dating apps. So I think desirability definitely is 
um, competitive with white women's desirability, maybe even higher. But I think racially, Asian women do not have the same value as white women, and certainly don't oh, yeah, have for the same sure. kind yeah, of power. Yeah, that's what I, yeah. I should have. I should have been more precise. Yeah, yeah, but in terms of like sexual attractiveness. Uh, I think, especially yeah. if you're in a place like maybe LA, where there's like a lot of Asian exposure, Asians are not seen as like these poor scrabbling immigrants, but rather, you know, f- well, very well assimilated, quite wealthy types. And yeah, it's like, it's not, it's not inconceivable. It's In fact, it's probably common where like the most popular girl nowadays in high school is is an Asian girl. Um, so hmm, in, in that context, and is it like, a, is it a hmm? certain kind of Asian too? East Asian. I'm like literally yeah, asking. Yeah, probably like, like. Definitely not like say South Asian, Um, and if it's like Southeast Asian, probably more looking like passing for East Asian, kind of like what we'd call Yellow Asian. So yeah, okay, Um, yeah, I I think that's that's probably the case. I think that's important to clarify too. I remember when I was in high school, I always like um, I would say like my self esteem issues dealt or a lot of them have to do with uh, society and just the way we're brought up. But there was this. One girl in particular who was East Asian, Chinese American, and I was always comparing myself to her because everybody thought she was so beautiful, so put together, had her stuff. She was just very intelligent, very smart. She was a very nice person. Um, but yeah, I definitely know, like, now that you're talking about it and looking, looking back, I see that a lot. And, but she was East Asian, as I mentioned. She looked very, like, people would definitely use the word exotic to describe her. Because she had those, like, just the very beautiful features that you would expect to see Oz. Because I'm trying to think of the best way to, to describe this, but I've noticed there are certain features in Asian women, East Asian women, I should say in particular, that tend to be uh, those that are viewed more as more attractive. You know, somebody that you would say is, like, lives in the city and stuff. Like, you wouldn't um, glorify the attractiveness of an Asian person who, like, was working a lot, like, in China in the rural areas, like, somebody who definitely grew up in the city, and she definitely had those features, so definitely can see East Asian women being the most popular people in high school now, because of the way that we, like, sexualize in them. Yeah, so we're uh, we're just at an hour, so I think, you know, if we have some few more loose ends to tie up, I think now is a perfect time to, to talk about it. Um, a- anything else that maybe we, we might have overlooked in this pod? I would love to touch on kind of the insidiousness of fetishization. You kind of mentioned before how the media covers it and the way we kind of talk about it is like just these single comments. Um, and I did uh-huh. want to add that for me in particular, the way that it really has kind of seeped into me is just the way that it builds up over time. You start questioning yourself and the way that people are viewing you. So for me, when guys are interested in me now, I'm very wary. I don't trust them immediately, particularly white guys. I tend to assume that they have yellow fever and I'm on the lookout for it like all the time. And it's it's very hard because it gets to this point of being like, oh, okay, so this guy is interested in me. Why is he interested in me? And it doesn't even have to do with like doubting whether or not I'm worthy of being desired, but the fact that I have to question why they're, why they are interested in me. And it's gotten very hard. Like you look at area par- potential partners and I'm like, okay, like I'm just waiting for them to say something that's going to make me go, oh, I have to drop you because you're actually fetishizing me. But it's hard to tell because mm-hmm. as we've mentioned, it can be very subtle and it doesn't always come up right away. So for me, that's why it's, incredibly frustrating and the media definitely doesn't really talk about that it is as you mentioned just kind of talked about as this sort of one-off comment that doesn't seem to matter but it really builds up over time yeah and and the tough thing is like if you were i think like full asian uh one suggestion just might be i I will like look for other full asian men because 
uh, you know, th- it's probably less likely they'll, you know, fetishize me. But, you know, if you're mixed race, you can't even rely <laughs> exactly. on that because you get fetishized <laughs> by everyone. Yes, exactly. Have you ever found right. that you yeah. want to find another mixed race uh, person? Absolutely. But uh, that must also be really hard, right? Yes. Because the numbers are, are yeah. No, absolutely. All the time. Um, I mean, I fell, I fell into that. <laughs> but that was sort of like not intention. I don't remember intentionally setting out. That's just how it happened. But it is, it's a relief because, uh, when I, when I go home, I don't have to worry about that. That's not a dynamic in our nuclear unit anymore. Um, all three of us are, are mixed now. So there's just like something that, gets left at the door. And I did not grow up like that. You know, I had, uh, you know, monoracial parents and, and then was dealing with whatever I was dealing with on outside the home as well. So it's nice. It's nice. <laughs> I have found myself more interested in dating Asian guys recently because I feel like I deal with fetishization at the hands of white guys so much more often. Um, but as you said, there's still that element of just kind of being like, oh God, like I'm still not even sure because what if they're only into me because I look white? Um, so finding somebody that is biracial definitely as like, for example, what the guy that I mentioned when I dated him, like that was something that I never was worried about at that time. So as Sharon said, like it is such a relief. You really, it does really just get left at the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I feel like I would be remiss and also not mentioning, um, and sorry, I would be remiss and not mentioning that it's not only white men that fetishize Asian women. Yes. Um, yeah, for sure. So yeah. I just just want to make sure that we don't leave this episode assuming that that fetishizing only comes from white men. I think there are a lot of um, non-Asian men of color who also fetishize Asian Definitely. women. I don't want to get too deeply into that right now, but it does need to be said. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think it betrays like like Asian people's general obsession with whiteness. Because, for instance, like Asian men, we get ignored by all sorts of non-Asian races. Uh, but we don't ever talk about that. We're only obsessed with how white women treat us, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, mm. our, like the way black women yeah. view us, not that great either. But, you know, we don't really care because you, even if they liked us, it's, it's like we wouldn't even reciprocate. Mm. I do think it does. Uh, I, I think it does betray just our just like general Asian obsession with, with whiteness and what they think of us. Definitely. Mm, that's an interesting point. And and I I wanted to piggyback on what you said, Annabelle, about the media and the media not being very helpful. Um, I had like pulled up all these links, but there's like this whole legacy of, in particular, how Asian biracial Asian white women have been portrayed in the media that actually goes back quite far. I don't think people realize um, because a lot of times in the past, uh, Asian white biracial women were. Um, you know, they were portrayed as full Asian women in films. So sometimes people didn't recognize that they were mixed. But for example, you'll hear a a lot in, um, like feminist critique, intersectional feminist critique about the way Asian women deal with race and gender, uh, mention of the movie, The World of Susie Wong. Have you heard about that? That character? I've heard of it. There's a lot of like old movie, right? Yes. Really old movie, um, and it's super racist and super sexist, and it's all about this, like, white guy and this Asian prostitute in Hong Kong, and so that has been, like, the cornerstone of so much Asian feminist critique in in our scholarly work in this country. Well, the actress who played Suzy Wong in that movie is actually Nancy Kwan, and she's mixed race, and that oh, yeah, rarely yeah. gets talked about. Um, so, so, and then, you know, go... There was also um, South Pacific, the Ham- Rodgers and Hammerstein musical that was really famous. Um, 
there's a character in there called Liat who who does this song called Happy Talk. I talk about this scene a lot. It's also an old film. She's also mixed. That is something that doesn't get talked about very much. Um, yet that movie might be used as an example for how Asian women are fetishized, but they might not bring mixed race women into that conversation. Um, Ex Machina is one of the more recent examples. Kyoko, that oh, character. Yeah. I've oh. seen that. Yeah. So yeah. racist. So sexist. Yeah. She's like walking around in stilettos serving sushi. She's like the AI sex robot. That actress is also mixed race. Um, and I'm thinking of like Nicole Scherzinger, like early career stuff. She's also mixed. Um, she she did a lot of like hula in her videos and like yoga and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. there is a role that Asian um, mixed women have have been forced to play in the media that I, I still don't think we talk about very well. And until we can develop a way to break down those tropes about uh, Asian mixed women, I think um, we're going to be a little stuck. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping that that's coming. <laughs> that nuance is coming. Are you saying, especially in the earlier years, they were used as kind of like a acceptable bridge between white women and, and Asian women? Well, I think they were often presented as full Asian women in the films. So I don't know if audiences knew, um, but I think the 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 unspoken impact was like, here, look at this a, this kind of Asian woman that we're going to hold up as beautiful. She actually ends up being a mixed woman, um, mm-hmm. and so there was there's kind of maybe a an unspoken psychological impact on audiences. For example, they used to market Nancy Kwan as the Asian Bridget Bardot. That's what they used to call oh, I her. See. I see. Yeah. That was like their fun nickname for her. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I wish I had more clarity around my language around it, but I think there's something there uh, that I hope more people will look into and and start to counter narrate as well. Because what is the role that um, mixed race has played in developing some of these tropes about Asian women? Um, I think that's an important question to ask and investigate. I think for me, yeah, I just for sure. I get worried that instead of representing Asian people as a very broad spectrum because the AAPI community is so diverse. I always get worried about, um, as you've mentioned, Sharon, just as you were talking about like mixed race women, but particularly those that are Asian and white being these like stand-ins for full Asian women. And while I think it's important that we have representation, representation of all kinds, because like I would love to see somebody like me in the media. I also want to make sure that people like me aren't taking the place of people who are full Asian because, especially ah. because of the way that we glorify whiteness. So as you were talking about that, like that's what I'm, start- that's yes. what I start thinking about. Yes. <laughs> and that that's like a, a new twist on sort of turning communities of color against themselves, right? Let's take Ugh. these mixed race people um, and put them in, as stand-ins for, for something or placeholders for something that should have gone to someone else. Yes. And then there's going to create all this tension um, in the communities, um, you know, where people are kind of starting to infight because uh, there's this scarcity feeling like, you know, the people who actually make these films and control these movies and music videos are actually not Asian people most of the time, right? Um, and so they are deciding who to dole things out to, and then it causes us to fight each other. So. I mean, with Crazy Rich Asians, people were really upset that Henry Golding got cast as the main lead because he's mixed. I'm still kind of conflicted about how I yeah. feel about that because I understand why they were upset. But to me, my thought process was that, well, the entire um, movie is cast with Asian people. So for me, I didn't see an issue with including somebody who is mixed. I forget her name, but the woman who played um, Ex Machina, who was the fiancé in there as well, is also mixed. But... Sonia Mizuno. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah. But so for me, I was thinking, I was like, okay, well, what's the harm in giving somebody that's mixed a role within a movie that has an entirely Asian cast? But if you were to give mixed people a role in a movie where there's only like one person who's supposed to be Asian, that's where I'm going to be like, oh, hold up. Like, are we saying that people who are white 
are better than people who are entirely Asian and that they should be stand-ins, you know, like, at what, like, the, it kind of sends a message about what's acceptable and, like, how people should look when they're Asian. It just worsens the beauty standards that we have, and it just really continues that narrative of how everybody needs to look whiter, pale, or have bigger eyes, longer eyelashes, things like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like the issue, I mean, there were a lot of, there were a lot of mixed race actors in Crazy Rich Asians, but I think that the, the, the issue with Henry Golding is that he was the lead, yeah. the lead love yeah, interest. I was about to say that, yeah. And I think, yeah, in terms of needing to counter narrate all these really damaging emasculating narratives that have been created by Asian men, it could have been really influential if there, a, a full Asian man had been cast. And I think that was the beef. And I, and I hear that, you know, but yeah, by the way, the, um, Kyoko in Ex Machina, that actress, uh, is also in Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> yeah, she plays oh, really? Araminta, the, the, oh, the one who right. gets married yes. to yes. Colin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, even if like Crazy Rich Asians did have a mixed race Asian male lead, it wouldn't be such as big a deal if it weren't part of a pattern. Even like Russell Wong, uh, you know, who played like, you know, the bad guy, like Joy Luck, like he was also <laughs> mixed race. I don't think a lot of people know that oh. because of his name. He looks very Asian. Oh. He was mixed race. And then I, I think one of the worst examples recently was, is that movie called The Sun is Also a Star. And the most galling thing is they got a, they got a mixed race Asian guy to play the lead, but then he has like an evil older brother and they got a full Asian guy to play him. And that full Asian guy oh, could have usually played the Oh, that is not okay. And, uh, yeah. Oh, for some reason, the recording on Uber Conference Up. Maybe that's a sign that uh, <laughs> we've gone on long enough. But um, yeah, so let, let's wrap it up. Uh, thank you so much. This was such a fun podcast. And, uh, you know, Sharon, we know we, we love having you back. But uh, Annabelle, too, you, you were so good. Um, <laughs> please come back anytime. I would um, love to. Yeah, I know you guys, I know you guys like, uh, plug some projects you were doing at the beginning but is, if there's anything you left out or maybe you want to remind listeners um, Annabelle we can start with you um, anything you want to promote here um I guess you can follow me on Instagram for more intersectional feminist content and uh, stomping on the patriarchy my handle's Annabae <laughs> A underscore N-N-A-B-A-E okay as I said that'll be in the show notes so if you didn't get that please check out the description and Sharon uh, I have a website, SharonHChang.com, and then I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Twitter I'm not great with right now, so you can try to visit me, but I can't make any promises. I follow you on Instagram. <laughs> I, I put up a picture maybe once a week. <laughs> no, Instagram I'm pretty good. Twitter oh, okay, I'm Instagram. not so good. Oh, Twitter, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I haven't seen you. I haven't seen yeah, you yeah. on my timeline in a while, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to keep up with all of it. <laughs> all right. All right. Have a great day, everyone. And thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.